Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Real Adventures. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. One of Australia's most reputable anglers, as always. Redmond, good morning to you. Nice intro, mate. Thanks very much. Uh, good to be here, as usual. How are you going? Going well. Rehab, which is uh, a blast. It's funny, when you're not playing, people come up to you in the street and be like, so what are you doing with your time? Mm. And as you'd know, because we obviously record the show and we try and find time for it. We are at the pub most of the week, weren't we? It's, um, <laughs> it's actually, you're, you're under a far greater time constraint because you get the living crap belted out of you with cross-training, heat rooms, bike, ellipticals. You were warm during the week when I seen you. Bloody night. What's oh, uh, was I ever? Where you at? Well, we have a um, we have a heat room at the club. Mm-hmm. So well, what, a, what don't you have at the club? It's well, it's a it's fantastic a, facilities. It's a thermostatically controlled room um, that is also you control the altitude. So when you bump up the altitude and you bump up the heat, so you're training in like thirty five degrees, two thousand plus meters of altitude, it absolutely cooks you. And then you go home in the afternoon to three rugrats who are you know it's like altitude eight thousand MMA. <laughs> Oh, how's the string coming along? It's good. Hopefully next week. Next Hopefully. week's the plan. Yeah. So, ran yesterday. Uh, and we obviously play GWS this afternoon at um So, you're no good this KP. week? No. Won't be playing this other. Um, but all things progressing, hitting sort of 30Ks an hour yesterday, which is sort of what you want. It's, you know, when you're coming back from a hamstring injury, it's a, it's time under tension in terms of the the rehabbing phase of the muscle and yep. then it's exposing it to high speed the thing you can't expose yourself to is three hours of footy mm. so it's that balance and that's why it just and takes intensity a no matter what you do at training it's still not the same as game day is it no see so you do your best you can and the the other thing that's really challenging as a as a athlete coming back from injury is that you're so hypersensitive to that area how's mm. it feeling everyone's always asking how's it feeling how's it feeling it's mentally yeah. in your head. You're doing, yeah, you're doing running sessions yeah. and it's all you're thinking about is this small little muscle. Every lap you do, you're gonna or play, every set you do. You're going to play against the dogs or is it smarter to rest through to the bye because you're old? <laughs> <laughs> well, I always think there's nothing better than testing yourself and collectively, obviously, but testing yourself against the best players. And I love playing against the Bont. Marcus Bond and Pelly. Yeah. So you're playing love against the Bont. Love watching him play. And then, uh, so bad as he sounds, you can have that week after as well to rest too. You can, but yeah. like it's like, you know, you play against one of the champs. There's nothing better than What's he like yourself. to play? Why, why is he difficult to play against? I know it's a bit of a fishing show, but well, we be, always talk a bit of footy. Why because is he he's so good? Well, he has the Pendlebury poise, mm. but he's got the Crips height. You know, he's 195. Um, what are you, 190? 188. Oh, you're a little. <laughs> a little. <laughs> you- I'm probably heavier than Bont, though. Um, uses his body really well. Yep. He's got that game now. And, you know, his ability to control stoppage, like, 
there's some wonderful players out in the game. You know, make mm. no mistakes of that. Of that. But for me, the Bont, he's the best. Kari will be happy with moment. you, my partner. I think she she loves the Bont. She's a dog supporter. dog supporter. We're actually coming up to watch the game. Uh, yeah. I've got to get you some, in, grab some tickets for me. Oh, you never ask for anything except for when we play against the dogs, and it's like, yeah, one, can I have an extra couple of tickets? Yeah, once a year I ask you for tickets for the game, the same game. But uh, let's get into some fishing. Let's get into some fishing. Hey, New Zealand, uh, the New Zealand boat show has been and gone, and it was a. Cracking boat show. I followed uh, Matty Watson through the boat show. He did some lives and some stories, and I thought it was a very well-presented boat show through social media. Uh, so all reports echo exactly that. There's been some uh, some new models of boats over um, that, that have been presented, our cousins across the ditch. Um, I think it's, it's Hutch Wilco, New Zealand. So the Hutch Wilco, New Zealand boat show. But... The reason that we're keen to chat a bit about it, because given the plate only in boat market, both you and I have a view that there is no one better than New Zealand when it comes to the manufacturing of plate plate boats, fair to say. They dominate the aluminium side of things, 100%. Yeah, you're right. So a couple of notable new boats, the Dreadnought V6000 hardtop. Now, can I comment on the look of that? (laughs) I, I like it. Oh, you like it? I like the flare on it. I like it. There are... It, as we're looking at the photo in I front like, of us, I like how you are. Can, it's, I, can I come in on it? Yep. It's it's like how do I, it's got a beautiful flair on it. It sort of looks like a. Uh, it's almost European, you know. You know those European boats you see on the. I'm not sure what the waterways over there are called the, the terminology, but it's got that sort of with that with that entry and on the, on the sort of like it's nearly got like a Whitley entry to it. Yeah, but yeah. sharper. It's going to go through the water extremely well. Thoughts on Extreme's new 646 walk-around. Now, this is a brilliant new boat by Extreme, one of the most well, uh, world-renowned sort of plate boat builders, um, and they do some wonderful boats, but their new 6.5 metre is an absolute ripper ribbon. Combines yeah. so many you know brilliant aspects of a 6-plus metre boat, but with the ability to fish 360. The only thing that, for me... Uh, I'm not a massive... If you lived up north or something like that, I reckon it's a game changer in Australia. For me, the wet the wet deck, so coming in, water running off the sides, into your boat, people standing behind, it's a little bit wetter. Uh, a lot of offshore, obviously, I do. It's probably not the... I, I probably wouldn't choose the walk around as such for me, but other people would. What you would choose would be the offshore 850 hardtop. So this was something that was launched... Uh, dubbed the Beast, 850 hardtop, powered by the recently launched uh, 450 horsepower V8 Yamaha uh, XTO offshore. And this thing is an absolute freaking monster. Uh, and that was one of the star attractions of the show. Surtees, 800 Game Fisher Diesel was teased, uh, which is another addition to their ever-growing stable. It's 300 plus grand for, for a boat this size. So you're looking at the maxi end of trailable boats and certainly when it comes to dollars. Can I ask you your opinion uh, where the aluminium boat market sits with the price of things? So do you think... They are getting more and more expensive. It was always a cost-effective alternative. how I like to explain it, don't get me wrong, a lot of love and hard work goes into building an aluminium boat. Yes. But a lot more hands-on physical labour goes into building a glass boat. You're still hand-laying glass on these boats. Well, right. they don't in the States, we do in Australia, though. In Australia, here, sorry. Agree with that, yep. Why are they priced nearly, I'm going to say nearly on average, for, a, say, a say a $200,000 glass boat, mm. 
it would be, I reckon, three hundred plus thousand in the aluminium range. It's a good question, and it would has has cost of materials gone up that significantly? I think it's the demand; they can do it. Yeah, that's the only reason. Well, do you th- I think that's definitely the case with what we've seen with Stabycraft's success, the price of Stabycraft's now, like they are, because they're nearly they're production built now. They're nearly production built. All the all a lot of aluminium brands. Yeah, but I would say Stabycraft in terms of their design and construction. They oh, they are leading, leading the way, but yeah. they're just like they're pumping them out. Like they, it's not like they're you, you're short on getting a boat. Like Craig ordered one and had it within. It's nearly here. He only ordered it a handful of like a couple of months ago. Months ago. Yeah. So like they're pumping them out. Like it's not like it's they're pumping them out. The price is there, and they're getting the sales. So good on them for good on them for having the price that much. But it's hard to be a family of say, three kids and well, the reality is to buy these things. They're hard. They're hard to afford. Yeah, and the reality is, uh, regardless of how well you look after them, they don't wear as well as a fiberglass boat. No, they don't. And you've suffered from that yourself, and I did when it's I had just, this thing. It, yeah. But it is not, what it uh, is. Sorry, we're not saying stabby there. Sorry, we said stabby, but no, it's aluminium in general. Aluminium. Yeah, yeah. aluminium in general. Yes. Unless you can powder coat the entire thing, but you're still going to have like little chips that well, happen. Craig had a Craig and Gwaine with their stabies, they put a... Do you remember what they said to you? They put that coat on the stone, like a stone guard. They yeah. put all over the boat, which has made a significant difference. Makes a difference to the um, the whatever the salt discoloration you get yeah. internally as yeah. well. Yeah, he they they covered their whole boat in it and made a uh, made a massive difference. Hey, this is a question for you. Would you join a boat club now to dumb it down for you? I know where you're going with this. Yes, dumb it down for you. You pay a monthly fee. Mm-hmm. You get access to a fleet of 14 boats, soon to be 18. They're big boats, so they're sea cruisers, sea ray cruisers. Yep. So they're big boats, 40 foot plus, etc. You give or take. They're at two locations in Sydney. If you lived in the region and you wanted a boat, a big boat, would you pay to be in a boat club to have access to views to one of these? I was about to say, it depends where I lived. If I lived in Sydney, yep. around the harbours, 100%. Because you don't have the... Ongoing maintenance fees. You, yep. Yeah, you, you pay a premium for what it is in terms of the membership, the access you have to the boats, but you don't have to deal with the ongoing maintenance, where you store it, you just rock up and use it. Mm. So, yes, I would. Because how often, do, for the you know 200 plus thousand that you spend on a boat, how often do you actually use it each year? And if you broke that down to how often you use it per year with the costs involved, insurances, all that sort of stuff it's starting to become quite expensive versus what this is, pay your fee, use the boat, and then the ongoing um, responsibilities beyond that. I think there is, I think there's really something in this and we're starting to see growth of this and I wonder whether there's going to be, you know, is there, a, is there an Uber? Um, Uber boats? Well, like an, an alternative to actually owning the boat a renting version of, yep, I've got a boat here that's sitting in the shed, you can come and use it. Different to what you're talking about, I understand. But I think there's I think there's something in that given just the the expense that you have with boats. Well they're saying basically you walk on, you walk off. You have all the fun, but you have none of the work. Would you pay a premium for it? I would. If it was local to you, you know, so you yeah. could use it. Yeah, yeah I would. Yeah. I, would you? I don't know. I wouldn't like other people going on the boat. Like <laughs> it's but weird. it's not your boat. I know so it's you're... not my boat. So you're basically hiring it in a yeah. way. The thing is, you and I both did a bit of research and we couldn't find the figure on this either. So much I'd love to know. It's I, think, it, I think that's going to have to be come down to it. If you are... Uh, what would you be willing part, to pay? If you are part of one of these uh, fleet access uh, exclusive 
clubs, please get in contact with us at Real Adventure Show because we'd love to hear uh, the pros and cons and why you chose being a part of, you know, paying your membership rather than actually purchasing a boat. In the fine print here, it says there is no minimum time frame. So you can opt out if your circumstances change. I like that. That's good. I like that. It's not like a, a lot of subscription-based, as Adobe caught me during the week. <laughs> Photoshop. <laughs> bit, of, uh, bit of news around the traps as well. The new Triton isn't far away, apparently. Should be released by March 2024. We're starting to see... Hope tees. their engines are a bit more go into them. I really do. Starting to see a bit more uh, sort of teased uh, imagery of them. Nissan Patrol over the 300 Land Cruiser. Hashtag question mark, Redmond, because we've... Mm, V8. There's been a few spied cars guides spotted one during the week. Yep. Uh, and still has the V8 exhaust. They did. They had, that's what the dead giveaway was to the V8. And it was, uh, I don't know, because the 300 Land Cruiser isn't anymore. One of the big question marks over the patrol for some time has just been the dated interior. People yep. buy it because of the V8 power, the ability to tow, you know, three and a half. The, this is the Land Cruiser. Tons. The Land Cruiser. You're no, no, sorry, the, the patrol. A patrol, yep. Uh, with with great ease, but the the interior is somewhat of you know still reminds you of a two thousand and five Land car. Cruiser. Like well, for what you pay, isn't much better. No, no, that's why people buy. 100%. That's why people buy the patrols. And yeah. That's why there's oh, clear... sorry, I thought you were going the other way. Yeah, no, no that's yeah. why there's absolutely yeah. a market yeah. for the I patrols. I thought you were saying it the other way. I'm like, no, Land Cruiser's inside. Like, a good friend of mine, we towed your boat, actually, out with one not long ago. And it's just, like, my Ram's got more than it. Like, you look at it going, geez, this thing's like... And it's a brand new car. Well, you're paying a premium. Uh, the other one uh, we're seeing with Ford, the release of the Ford Everest Wildtrak. So, obviously... Wild Track synonymous with Ranger. Uh, there is being a Ford Everest Wild Track version released. It's been teased in, I'm not sure what colour it is, it's that sort of golden, iconic Wild Track colour. It's about a 4,000 premium above the Ford Everest Sport, and it's about four grand cheaper uh, than the Platinum. So it sort of sits in that. Middle tier between those two. I went in. I went in uh, Lee Rayner's new Ford Ranger uh, on the weekend. A nice, beautiful car. Yeah, yeah. Really? And you can see why they've been just so incredibly popular with the Australian market. I mean, designed obviously in Australia, but they've done an incredible job. So interesting to see the reception that uh, Ford get with their new Wild Track. We've got a massive show of real adventures coming your way this morning. A little later in the show, we're catching up with Bomber Farrell. He's been fishing right around the highlands of Victoria. Some incredible trout fishing that he's been uh, enjoying. But after the break, we're going right around the country. The whip around, we'll find out what's biting in your part of the state. We spoke a few weeks back on the southern bluefin tuna starting to die off. Well, they are doing anything but that. They are in plague proportions once again. The report is worth sticking around for. You're listening to Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures. Welcome back to Real Adventures. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk fishing, boating and the great outdoors. It's time for the whip around. We've, we, well, we whip around the state, Redmond. Whip around the country and find out what's biting in your backyard. We are. We're heading straight to New South Wales first, and something you'd love doing this, I reckon, up in the Snowy Mountains, chasing Absolutely. the wild browns and the wild rainbows. Beautiful uh, time flight. of the year as well as we start. Is that what to, Bomber's been doing? Yes, we start to move into winter. Um, the fly 
working beautifully at the moment. Sight casting. You've obviously got to wear two sets of jocks because it's freezing up there. Absolutely. You've got to <laughs> you've got to sort of match the hatch, as they say, and find out what sort of yep. Um, what insects has been the most successful, but there's been some great reports out of the snowies, which is wonderful to hear, Robert. It is, and I some like just drop people posting photos of just driving up through the mountains with like how beautiful the sunrise is coming up over the hills and that. It's it's bloody gorgeous. Yeah, it is. Yellowfin tuna. We spoke the other week. Yes, you I said this it. was going to start to warm well, they up. They had the Burmy comp on the weekend. It went quite well. There's a lot of fish caught, a lot of small fish, but they had managed a few fish up towards the 50 kilo mark. So they were really happy with the end of that, uh, with the result of that by the end of it. So multiple fish caught, lots of fish caught, always good from a lot of that sort of 12 to 50, 20 kilo. And then the, I think the fish that won it was just shy of 50. So really, really good fishing. Uh, from your experience, mm-hmm. yellowfin tuna or southern bluefin tuna when it, it comes to eating? Oh, eating. Because I would oh, say southern bluefin tuna. I don't tuna. think I've ever eaten yellowfin. I don't reckon I have. Haven't you? I would say southern bluefin tuna, but it may... It may be to do with the chef. <laughs> I was the one yeah, cooking. I reckon. I honestly, honestly, I don't think I've eaten it. I would. I can't answer that one for you. I think it'd be a lie. I could say one. No one will. No, no. one will know. <laughs> this, is, this is a truthful show, Redman. <laughs> Heading to Queensland, the Fitzroy River. A few threadfin salmon being caught. Prawns working well for the bait fishers, but if you get those hard bodies up on the mangroves, there's a few of those kicking just some drop offs too. So I've never caught a threadfin salmon. Have you? Yes, I have. Up yep. north. Yep. Obviously. North. Yep. Yep. They uh they reckon that uh they pull they go a bit harder than a barrow at times. I would love to say I caught a monstrous one and it was just one of the you know great fishing experiences of my life. But I reckon it was about twenty five centimeters. <laughs> but it was still the species, Regiment. It was still the species. Harvey Bay, the fishing has been excellent, as we know. I've been reporting the Spanish mackerel, the perch, the trevally, but the drama they're having at the minute is the water temp's been so hot. We've spoken many times about the water temp. The sharks are as ferocious as ever because the, water, the hotter the water gets, the more active fish get. Same as you've got a fish tank at home. The more yes. you crank it up, the more active the fish are. Now, these sharks are taking everything. And because the mackerel have moved in in such big numbers with the water temperature, the sharks are even more fired up again. Yep. So they reckon don't go swimming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Western Australia, uh, Chinese Beach, Mark Lacroix, the Frenchman, he's been down there catching huge salmon on metal lures at the moment, and they're in really good numbers. Once again, it's the the heavier the metal lure, the further you can get it out, and obviously, it's a lot of this is is a bit of sight fishing with with how um, decent the numbers have been. But finding those deeper troughs of water uh, is the the quickest path to success. Redmond, Albany slow pitching micro jigs on the reef uh, has landed some great jewfish and red snapper during the week. So red snappers. Victoria's standard snapper. They call them red snapper over there. And some of those snapper are up to six kilos. So really good micro-jigging fishing. South Australia, Port Mac is still on fire. Uh, bait balls up on the surface at the moment and barrels below Redmond. So you're going to yeah. go a little bit more in depth now uh, with what's been the successful method around this. When you've got bait balls up on the surface, what's the best way to get those barrels beneath it? Is it, is it dropping baits? Are you trawling through it? What is it? 
What are you hearing around the best method? If I've got lures out, I'll always troll past a bait ball. Always. Yep. One or two or three times passes, even if there's no one there. Are you it's looping it. through it or are you driving smack bang through around it? The, around the outside of it with the boat yep. and the lures are coming through it. Yep. So you're manoeuvring the boat so you get So it. you don't want to disturb the bait ball with your boat, but you do no, with but your lures. In saying that, when you're dropping baits down, the bait ball doesn't isn't really phased by the boat, to tell you the truth. They're, they're worried they're, about They're, they're worried else. about everything else behind <laughs> and make it out of your way, that's for sure. But uh, no, it's it's... Great fishing up there with these bait ball action, but I don't think it's anything better than stopping the boat, trying to scoop up a bit of bait and putting a live in and dropping it in and yeah. it takes it out of your hands. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it's anything better than that. Uh, so when you do that, yep. you've got your gear in free spool during yep. this day. Definitely. How long are you waiting before you start to put tension on that I've, on that fish? I've found with marlin, you go a fair bit quicker. So marlin, striped marlin tend to this fight around with your bait, to tell you the truth. They, like, mouth it, and they eat, they eat there with their eye. They eat with their uh, nose, as I should say. Where tuna don't mess around, they eat it. Yep. So we only go on, like, three or four seconds max. We're half to what we do on the marlin. So marlin can be up to eight. Like, you want to let a marlin swim with it. Some people let them eat it for ages. Where with the tuna, we're pretty much going, like, let it run, let it run. Yep, that's enough. Let's go. Like, yeah. three seconds max. So yep. it's letting them eat it. But some people have had them in strike, and when they grab it, if they don't get the hook properly... You're just going to ping it off and lose it. You're going to, they're just going to grab it, bang, gone, straight away. So you need to let them swim with it in free spool so they uh, can swallow the bait. And these circle hooks hook them. Oh, the amount of... It's amazing how many hookups we've had in the corner of the jaw. It'd be 90-plus percent would be hooked in the corner of the jaw. How... Like, you fish for a long time. Have you always used circles? When did you predominantly oh, go to, to circles... I suppose it's only really been the last five years that that oh, southern oh, no. bluefin fisheries really fired up. But can you remember a time yeah. where you were using straights? I'm trying to think. I do use straights for certain things. Yep. Snapper in Port Phillip Bay now, I use straights. I've changed to straights because the depth... If I was in tide, I'd run circles because yep. they come up, turn and eat it. But in the bay, when they're just eating baits off the bottom, the circles, I don't think are as effective. Back when I charted a long time ago, I reckon that's when we started using circles. I reckon it was on the whiting because customers couldn't hook fish. Yeah, they're on a yep. boat, and I reckon that's when we changed to uh, changed to circle hooks. And that's a long time ago. That's fifteen years ago. But yeah. I can't remember that was the start of the chartering days. But it definitely because cer- it just seems to be the thing that you, we always well, talk about now. Like, what are you recommending? Circle hooks. Circle hooks for gummies. Circle hooks for anything in tide. But whiting in your hand when you when you're actually using your hand, not the rod holders. Whiting straight hook. Uh, on your lures, tuna, straight hooks, because you, you're dry, you're moving at the same time. Anything that you let actually sit down, eat it, and then swim off, generally circle, circle hooks. Yeah. Because they just work so well. And the hookup, once the circle hook goes in, it rotates so good in the corner of the jaw, your actual land, like you land fish like so much better than what you would land them on straight hooks. Yep. Your percentages just go up for you. Like, a, for example, a marlin will throw a lure out of its mouth using the weight of the lure, and also a straight hook. They'll throw that out of their mouth where a circle hook in their corner, you, you land it's a hard to dislodge. Eight, nine times out of ten, you're going to land yeah. a marlin. And these tuna, like, we're... Well, the other day, I think we, we weren't even trying by the end of it, I'll be honest. And I think we hooked 17, all on circles, and I think we landed 13 or 14 fish. Yeah. Like, that's a good strike rate. And a couple of them we lost with line failure because we just caught so many fish. There was crap going everywhere. So circles are a great thing if you're going to release fish too. Uh Trebles, as we speak about, I don't really like trebles ever. I don't think there's a purpose for trebles. I don't know why they still sell lures with trebles on them at all. Are you talking as much the health of the fish as it is the practicality of oh, the f- hooks actually working against each other? If hundred, I just think it both. Yeah, both of it. Like you're gonna, I really let go of the majority of my fish. People go, "Geez, you kill a lot of fish." 
I, I actually don't. For what we catch, we only keep... I don't eat a lot of fish. Like, I bought some whiting up for you today, and that was just... The kids ate... Yeah, that's about two kilos worth, <laughs> which in, in the exchange rate at the moment, that's that's a Haynes Hunter 650. Things you do for a few tickets next week. <laughs> but basically, it's... Uh, it's it's a box. <laughs> it's a box I got of the footy. <laughs> Ring Hutchie. It's, uh, basically, it's... Uh, uh, you've lost me track. The trebles, I reckon, work against each other. Singles work extremely well. I let go most of my fish, so the trebles have no purpose. As soon as I get a pack of trebles, unless I'm lazy and it's like instant, like, all right, there's a bite here, quick, just chuck it on anyway, that's the only time they're going in the water. Whiting out of North Haven, uh, they've been sensational. Uh, bag out captures on offer. Pippies and squid have been the most successful. Uh, heading further north, Tasmania, there's been some big brim uh, out of Bowen Bridge. Uh, the Z-Man grubs Redmond. Yeah, two and a half inch working the best. But the next one I find more interesting. This is my question for you because I actually know stuff all about this and I'll be honest. Derwent River. Mm. Sea runner trout are starting to get caught as we speak. So this is fish. Explain uh, this, this to us. This What's is... a sea runner trout? How do you catch them? Where do you catch them? Well, a sea run trout yep. is just a trout that's ventured into the ocean and then back up. So we get that a bit down the a bit down the coast. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm asking you because yeah. you mentioned it Like to George's me. River, um, just past Lawn, and there's a few other um, places throughout the Otways where it doesn't connect all the time, but you'll really notice the difference in these trout because they're really silvery mm-hmm. being in the ocean. Would they taste better, do you reckon? I would think they definitely would. Yeah. I, I've Getting out rarely, of that stagnant fresh. Yeah, I've rarely ever eaten fish out of the Otways because I just... The, the food supply just isn't like it is in New Zealand or the high crunch country in New South Wales, Victoria. Yep. So I just wouldn't eat it. But you can definitely tell with how silvery they are. And they almost look healthier. Not healthier, but, you know, you, you see the browns and they are really sort of brownie and yellowy in colour. Yep. When they've been, you know, the top of the Erskine and, and those sort of streams um, throughout the Otways versus you see this... Sea run and they're silvery. You can really tell the difference between the two. So this would be the same with the Derwent. Do you know what I find really bizarre? And we've got a report coming up for it at the moment. But like a place like Lake Parambit, for instance, as I just dropped my laptop onto the ground, there goes the screen. Uh, at a place like Lake Parambit, for instance, you've yep. got your tiger trout, you've got your browns and your rainbows in there, etc. So many being stocked by yep. fisheries. Stocked. Yep. Do you know... I reckon 80% plus of the people that fish in there wouldn't know what the fish they caught. They all I, look... They look just they some look the same, some look different. Like I remember when we were there that time with Rainer and Paul was on the other side. Paul's like, I think we've got a brown. No, no, it's a tiger. I'm gonna send to fisheries. No one knows what they are. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, some people do, just not everyone. Yeah, and some sorry. Particularly some people, when they become really quite silvery. Oh, and they get these well. and their heads the start chinooks. to yeah, they go start yeah. to go funny and start looking like bloody hook jaws. But they uh yeah, it's it's crazy. Well, how you've got a good problem if they're hook jaws because it generally means <laughs> the size is a fair bit bigger. I didn't have that problem. Uh, let's head to Victoria because you're going to go a bit more in depth here. I'll yeah, let you... Just got to look through the smash screen. Apologies about that. <laughs> I'll let uh, you take it over. Geez, the things that happen in studio. We'll today. get through this quickly. Uh, very windy week, Patrick. So we're going to stay a little bit more inland, but I'm going to mention a couple things offshore. Mount Nuji up in the high country again. Small trout on offer. Uh, using your salters and your worms, working really, really well there. Anderson's Inlet, some flathead to 50 centimetres. Uh, land-based anglers are using soft plastics. That's straight off the beach, heavy heads, bang, smashing it through the sand. Squid in Western Port. Gwaine, sensational again uh, on the Western Port uh, squid. Whiting in Port Phillip Bay. I had a really good week in the whiting battle on that wind, but the whiting are good, big tides, everything went well. Lake Purrumbeet, I just mentioned it to you. 
uh, big Browns to eight pound being caught. Some absolute crackers got caught during the week. And then heading back to Portland to cover a little bit of the coast, the schoolfish come back. You, We mentioned those charters. Every charter didn't catch a school bluefin over that moon phase. Over those crap tides, Patrick, how many times do we talk about it? Don't fish those tides. You won't catch fish. The moon left us. Every single charter boat bagged out in in few hours on those school tuna. So they were there. They weren't feeding. They're gone. They bail. So this comes down to being smart with your fish in your times. Pick your times and you'll catch fish. Beautiful work, Redmond. That is our whip around, jetting right around Australia and finding out the best spots and what's been biting in your neck of the woods. You're listening to Real Adventures. Plenty more to come after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures. For all aboard, and if you've been following his escapades on social media, you'll know he's travelling Australia, fishing some of the most unique spots just about you could imagine. Uh, But if you don't, make sure you do. Bomber Farrell Fishing is our special guest this morning. Bomber, thanks for your time. Your trip and escapades continue to amaze, mate. Oh. Thanks, mate. Always good to have a chat and catch up. Uh, yeah, it has been really good, mate. Really loving it, uh, having a break and getting out and seeing a bit of uh, this wonderful country that we live in. Now, you've spent a huge amount of time up in the NT, tagged, I think, literally hundreds, if not thousands of, of billfish throughout your time. Now, you're spending 12 months travelling around Australia, living the dream and what many people would absolutely love to do. You, you started your, uh, your uh, journey a couple of months ago. You've been and fitted out your Horizon 415 Easy Fisher. Can I take us back to the start around fitting out that boat and designing it so you can tow it behind the Hilux um, with your lovely wife, Cal, and, and sort of have it set up so you can fish, not necessarily offshore, but I know you'll take it um, you know, to places that, you know, may not everyone would, would sort of take a four, four and a bit metre tinny. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I haven't done anything crazy yet, but we, uh, we're not far off doing some crazy stuff as we get um, further into New South Wales and Queensland, that's for sure. But, I mean, it's, it's been really, really good, um, the versatility, having the tinny and, and travelling around and cruising all up and down the countryside. Um, and at, absolutely, it's been brilliant, really, with the size of the, um, the boat uh, for what we're doing. And then the ease of t- towing it on the Hilux is just a piece of cake. It really is. And it's quite economical, actually, too, which is really good. So in terms of the size of the boat, it's 4.1 metres long. Is that as big as you wanted to go when it came to ease of towing? Why did you settle on that size boat for your travels? A um, few reasons. One, long term, long long term. I think when we get to Exmouth one day, um, it's going to be pretty well like a prime size little tinny just that you can launch off the beach. You can sort of handle it by yourself. Um, it's not too small that you can't just go out through a few creek mouths or river mouths out into the, out into the wonders of the ocean outside. Um, but it's it's not too small either that you're not sort of going to get a bit too scared once we get up into the northern waters, but there's not any freeboard that a five, <laughs> six-metre crocodile can't just walk over the back of the boat. So, yeah, so those, those sort of things. And, and it is quite stable. And I think I did sniff around for quite a while, and I sort of settled on this one. It's got really wide gunnels. that makes it pretty good as well, and it's really solid because it will go down some 
um, rough roads and stuff like that. So I was conscientious of the, the construction as well. Um, and then having paired up with the, the 30 Merc, it sort of, you know, runs everything really well. Um, and you put a couple of adults on it and still hammer along at 19. So, you know, it's, it's really quite nice, I think. It's matched with Humminbird Electronics uh, and a, a bow-mounted Minn Kota. Have you been happy with how those those pieces of machinery ha- have worked and functioned? Yeah, totally. Well, it's funny you say that because we've gone to so many creeks, rivers and lakes and whatever so far and as we keep going up and I've never fished in all these places so I'll typically just go out by myself. So, um, and I've been using um, Humminbird gear for a while and what's been really good is just using the side imaging to, to not only find fish but find structure and stuff like that. You, you get to a place and you sort of have a bit of a nut out of, you know, what you think or where a fishy spot is um, and then you sort of can just use that, that electronics all those electronics just to sort of find and sort of, you know, confirm that there's fish there and then go and target those fish. And, and we've been fortunate enough pretty well to everywhere we've gone. We've sort of caught fish, which has been good. And obviously the Minn Kota, you can't, you can't go back. One thing with the Minn Kota that I have, have done is I've been charging it 100% so far um, off the solar panel. So I've just been having a rollout solar panel. And because I've got the BLA um, solar panel, I mean, um, lithium battery, it's got the Bluetooth. So you can just check that, like, you know, to see where you're up to with what percentage of batteries on there. I'll just roll out the solar panel uh, if days we're not fishing or whatever and just at camp and just pump a few more um, amps in there and top it up and just keep going. So honestly, I reckon I, I wouldn't change anything that I've done so far. I've even added a Bimney actually because Kel wasn't loving it um, when it was stinking <laughs> hot one day uh, in the sun and just being sitting out on the boat. So I've chucked that on too. The other thing, you've obviously had a, a Minn Kota on your, your old boat, a 650 North Bank. Um, but I think from memory, when we first filmed way back when, lithium batteries weren't a thing. So what would have been in there would have been, you know, 50, 60 kilos of batteries. That BLA lithium you're talking about, they're only about, you know, 10, 15 kilos, aren't they? Yeah, well, the one I've got is only 7 kilos, 100 amp hour, 12 um 12 volt battery for this one and that's like absolutely the bomb like seriously like it's so light you strap that in it's not a bad size battery and um yeah i mean that makes a massive difference compared to exactly like you said those are two batteries that we ran geez that was a while ago we were filming that show um that's yeah that geez, that would have been like 60 kilos easy actually now think about it, those two batteries which on a big boat is it's manageable but on a small you know four meter tinny weight distribution sure is really important, obviously. Yeah, that's right. The trim tabs can just be me shuffling over 100 mil on the seat. <laughs> so, you know, that, that does make a big difference um, with those sort of things, like when you're talking about the weight distribution in a small vessel. One of the things I was keen to chat to uh, this morning, because I know you're, you're very busy fishing at the moment, um, is <laughs> the drift boating that you've been doing. Now, it sounds like something out of Tokyo Drift, but it's far more subdued than that. Talk to us about your ex- your experience with haul fly fishing. Uh, I know as a mate of yours, um, you had a phenomenal day out on the water. Yeah, well, um, Tumut, uh, I mean, Tumut was always a destination. But, you know, as, as you know, I lived you know, remote for a long time, and then now we can do this trip. We can go away and do things. And Tumut was a spot I always wanted to get to. And I've got a mate down there who, who does a bit of guiding. And uh, Angus, is down there and um, I'd always be in touch with him and anyway we got the opportunity to sort of um, go and do a drift boating tour and I said yeah mate we are I, I like locked it in I sort of 
as, as much as this trip is quite flexible, I sort of secured a few dates, got a mate from Melbourne to race up, and we spent a day, and I locked it in with him, a day drift boating down the Tumut River. And the Tumut River is it's sort of a tail race. It runs out of Lake Blowering, sort of a little bit like the Golden River sort of styles in a way. But um, because in New South Wales, different rules uh, with accessing the river and all these other bits and pieces they have up there. So, And the river does run pretty high a lot of the time. There's heaps of fish in there. It's absolutely amazing, the amount of fish. But just jumping on a drift boat, uh, so it's basically like a little paddle boat, like a blow-up boat basically, but super tough. Um, and then Angus would just guide from the middle of the boat, just sits down, just has a couple of paddles, and I was at the back, and Kieran just jumped up the front with a couple of fly rods. So we had a couple of options. We had a couple of rods out of the way of the dry fly, and we had a couple on the nymph. So you could just go to certain sections of the river, and we drifted the whole day, eight hours, nine hours, whatever it was, all the way down the river, um, just caught like a squillion fish. Like it was just absolutely brilliant. Um, easy access to the river, because you can't access the river. And this way you've just got, um, the ability to sort of pull up at spots or slowly drift through these awesome locations and just get access to all these fish that otherwise you just can't waltz in and get access to. It was absolutely one of the best things to do uh, in that region if you're not into fly fishing even. Like, um, definitely like Gus is really good. Like there's a guide, he was, he's very funny and entertaining but also very patient and uh, dealing with lots of different clientele on the boat. That, that leads me to my next question. You obviously fish a lot, but for those that don't and have always thought about um, whether it's fishing in this region or getting into fly fishing, it doesn't matter the, you know your qualifications, if you will, when it comes to how much experience you have. They can cater for everyone. Yeah. I, um, so, yeah, as, as, as you alluded to, we've done a little bit of fishing over the years. And um, so he does, and I sort of spoke to him about that because I mean, we have a good yarn and, Stuff like that. I find it really interesting. Like he's guiding on that river, and a lot of the people he said he said seventy percent of his clientele end up being like beginners, um, which is a great way to sort of get put straight onto fish, uh, but also get taught along the way rather than just waltz out, going by a fly rod and just wander down the river there, and you've got no idea, and then you're just wasting your time. You haven't efficiently caught anything, you haven't learned anything. Whereas jumping on a boat with someone like Gus, like it was pretty good, just to sort of not only have a good time, but everything's just there catered for it and just teach you how to cast, roll cast. And and um, so, and the other one is that you'll find this sort of, I found this really like sort of amazing in a way. And I said to him, I said, what are some of the biggest numbers you've done of days anyway? He said, like, before we got there, it was about three weeks, he broke the record. They said, you got 101 fish for the day, 101 trout for the day with two anglers on the boat. And I'm just like, what like you're joking? He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, mate, it was unbelievable. And he goes, the funniest thing was with that day, he goes, they were two beginners. <laughs> so you're just like, wow. Imagine having that sort of opportunity, but it's so like not uncommon, thirty, forty fish day. But those new people who are getting into fly fishing, they just listen to what he's saying because they don't know anything else. They haven't got any other idea, and they just go, right, I do that. So they just do exactly what he said, and then they learn, oh, okay, this is actually pretty good, and they're catching fish. And they're just having a blast drifting down down a beautiful river with hardly anyone around you. See a few moo cows on the way down. Something to be said for listening, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. If only we get more of it. Hey, before we let you go, uh, the Victorian yeah. high country, the New South Wales high country, the Snowy Mountains. Um, for those that fly fish, you sort of get it. You understand because you've been there. But a bit of a hidden gem. You don't have to head... Uh, across to New Zealand for incredible fly fishing, certainly from, from, from your posts over the last 
few weeks, some incredible fishing that you've you've got up to. Um, not a hidden secret, but just to reinforce the Victorian high country, the snowy mountains, they're an incredible region to fish. Oh, totally. I think there's a lot of little spots. I noticed, um, especially up with Howqua, could not believe it. We're staying, we camped in a, a pretty popular campground, um, Sheep Yard Flat, I think it was called. And I think one afternoon we went for about three hours and caught 12 trout. And I'm sort of going, how on earth can we be this close to Melbourne, a uh, huge population, and just still catching like a bunch of trout um, and just walking up this beautiful alpine streams so close to home where you just drive out of Melbourne for a few hours and you're there. Camp the night, roll the swag out, take a tent, whatever, do another day and then go home. Oh, I think um, there's a lot to be said about what, what is just in the backyard of a lot of uh, people, especially with two popular cities in Australia that have access to awesome fly fishing. If you want to follow Bomber Farrell's fishing exploits and adventures, make sure you head to his social pages at Bomber Farrell Fishing. He's got his YouTube channel there as well. Some of the most diverse and incredible fishing that you'll see, and you can follow his adventures uh, right throughout the year as he heads around Australia. Uh, Bomber, thanks for your time this morning on Real Adventures. Pleasure, mate, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Danger. The Real Adventures Review for TJM. Take the lead with TJM, proudly the first Australian-made and manufactured four-wheel drive equipment since 1973. It is now time for Red's Review. Sorry, there's a few shenanigans happening in the back of the show at the moment. <laughs> We need to be better. There is. It's been a good morning. <laughs> it's been a great morning. Uh, our review for this morning is the TJM Soft Shell Rooftop Tent. Now, looking for a quick, simple setup for your next outdoor adventure, plus being out of uh, harm's way, Redmond. That's the advantages of having a rooftop tent. It has all the creature comforts that you get with a normal tent. It's got a comfy bed base, mattresses. However, this thing is quite clearly... It is assembled and stored on the roof. I'm buying one of these because I've said it for that long, but I'm, I'm, I'm calling it right now. I'm purchasing one because the kids are getting older and I want to start doing little camp trips away. But tents are pain in the backside. This only weighs a heavy, a heavy Patrick, like myself. I'm, it weighs just a little bit, two kilos heavier than me. Same as you. 68 kilo, Patrick. You can, so even I could lift it onto the roof, no worries. It only takes one to two hours to actually get it installed and fitted. So that's just before you uh, obviously go, Patrick, because it would be no good if it wasn't fitted. But it's uh, it's extremely versatile as well because you've got the ladder out the side as well. You've got the sunroof up the top. It does plenty of things. I like the sunroof. So with several large windows and the mesh screens, there's great airflow and ventilation, which is obviously important when it comes to camping. But as you said, you can enjoy the night sky through the stargazing window. However, Redmond, I would recommend, if it does rain, to uh, to zip that up. <laughs> Because there is nothing worse than, um, you know... It is waterproof, isn't it? It is waterproof, okay, absolutely. Not I'll, with the I'll sunroof open. have checked that off with our good mates at uh, TJM, that it is waterproof. Uh, but you do want to close that. The other thing you do want to do, and we saw this uh, throughout the week on our Real Adventures socials, it's been doing the rounds, uh, a car, full drive. And I think this was a uh, TGM rooftop tent. But there was a full drive driving with one of these rooftop tents along a highway. Still open. Still open. Yeah, they stuffed up. We would definitely recommend against that. But well, these if you are, are in the market, Redmond. These are very good, very easy to pack up. So if you're lazy like me that normally chucks your tent out at the end of a camping trip because you can't be bothered, these <laughs> these are easy to pack up. So make sure you do grab yourself one of these. For more information, uh, make sure you head to the TGM website. 
our review this morning, the TJM Softshell Rooftop Tent. That was for TJM. Take the lead with TJM. Quality four-wheel drive equipment. You're listening to Real Adventures. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's now time for Red's tip. Redman, what do you have for us? So you morning? buy a bulk of spool, Patrick, and you want to spool your lines up. And you don't... A bulk of spool. So a line comes on a spool yep. for those uninitiated in this. Yep. So Buying bulk. Instead of... The reason you want to buy in bulk, it's cheaper. Right? That's your first one. Well, I bought so, some Finn's Braid the other day. Finn's great brand, yep. Yeah, great. 100%. But it was like 150 metres. And I reckon it was like... 70 bucks? It, it probably sounds about right. I wouldn't be buying it. I'd be buying bulk. Now, you're going to go, how much line do I roughly know how to put on a reel? How many reels am I going to get out of that spool? And this comes down to backing Tiagra 50 wides, like I just did. Yep. Get a line counter. So busted fish into a line counter. And not only that, you can weave the line onto like a 50 wide side to side with the handle. Or you can run the spin gear, wind it in. The busted fishing actually have a whole package which actually you can put your spools in and everything, but I do it all by hand. Oh, so busted fishing is the website. Busted fishing, yes. Gotcha. Don't mind this. Line counter will count the how much line you put on, so you'll know exactly. So you know how normally you just reel a spool up and it's full and it's done. Yes. You don't know how much you got left, and you don't want to get halfway through a reel and go, oh, crap, I wasted exactly. 200 meters of break. Yes. This will count exactly how many meters, and just what you do is white texture on the black spool normally, write it on the top of it, how much you've taken off. And then you'll know exactly what's left on the on the uh, on the spool. Do you like the dyed? Obviously not for Tiagra fifty, but do you like the dyed lines where it's in like meters or you know, as in fi- the color? Fi- yeah, fi- yeah. No, all fi- mine is all my all my uh, even my. I just I just backed all my fifties with colored braid, so I know I know the meter. They're all ten meters, yeah, yeah. so they're either meter, five meters, or ten. I think it's brilliant. It's great. You yeah. know, so when you, I will say to people when we mark up uh, bait on the marlin, for instance, I'll say the bait's at sixty meters. And they just count six colours. Yeah. So ten, obviously. And then if you're fishing the whiting, I'll Such be like... Such a simple thing, isn't it? Yeah. And then if the bait, if you're fishing the whiting or there's bait under the boat, only drop down three metres. Like there's... And you just count the colours by the metre on the smallest bull. So, yeah, get yourself a line counter. They will make you save a lot of money and buy in bulk when you're buying braid bat. Uh, speaking of buying in bulk, Redmond, that takes us to the flying gaff for the weekend. Now, you love your diving. I do. Uh, can you give me? Some, I like looking good when I'm diving too, Patrick. Can you give me? Will this suit me. Can you give me some uh, some good brands? What, Cressy, when, Cressy when does it great. To, Cressy does it. I think my wetsuit at the moment's Cressy. There's Aqualung. There's a, there's a lot of good uh, diving wet, wetsuits out there. I reckon I paid. I reckon I paid maybe three hundred fifty bucks for my wetsuit. Maybe four hundred fifty. Yeah, and it got, keeps me warm. Eight mil. This one. Uh, any other brands like if if so that's that sort of range? Any like more expensive ones? You can like go to a dry. A you can go to a dry suit. You can get up to sort of the twelve hundred dollar range, maybe. And you're going to be, you're gonna be completely dry too. Not a drop on you. Well, where are you going with this? Well, it takes us to our gaff for the weekend, Redmond, because uh, when I think of diving, I don't necessarily think of this brand. However, Dior. Oh, D I O R Dior. The uh, fashion, lu- the luxury, yeah, the luxury brand, fashion brand. Neither you nor I, uh, certainly, you know, are fashion aficionados. However, Dior and Visla, which we are more accustomed to in terms of wetsuits, they have uh, they've released a five thousand four hundred dollar wetsuit. 
little bit more XE than what you're spending, Redman. And that takes us to the flying gaff. <laughs> Dior $5,500 wetsuit. You have the gaff. Is that just because the week? Is it generally because they've, they've written Dior on the front of it? Because I'm on Vizla's, Dior on the front of it. I'm on Vizla's website at the moment. And Brilliant. What is this? $499, $449, $449, $579. There's one for a thousand there. Imagine the shit kicking that you would get if you wore a Dior wetsuit. If you wore a Dior <laughs> I tell you what. This is you coming in. <laughs> I think when I first met you, you just done a uh, a Santa ad where you were on a surfboard or something. This time you're going to be on a Dior wetsuit. Outrageous. <laughs> Dior, you get the gaff this week. Five and a half grand for a wetsuit. You've got to be kidding me. Uh, thanks for your company on Real Adventures this morning. Redmond, you're, well, you're going fishing. I've got footy this afternoon. We'll see you next week.